The history. Tell me what you saw. The people. Hey, neighbor. The legends. I bring good news. The actions. If you build it, he will come. The vision and evolution of Southern California's desert cities. Boy, I got vision and the rest of the world wears bifocals. From mid-century. We're halfway there. To modern day. I'm building something. These are the stories of how the greater Palm Springs region has become America's playground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do this. iHub Radio presents Coachella Valley Chronicles with Randy Florence. Welcome to the Coachella Valley Chronicles. I am Randy Florence. I'm very excited about this uh, show today and today's guest. Bruce Fessier was born in 1953 in Los Angeles. He earned a journalism degree from San Francisco State in 1975. Throughout his 40-year career, Bruce has been one of the most influential people in the Valley. Since coming to the desert in the 70s, he's written about almost every major arts, entertainment, or cultural event in the Valley. He's covered every year of Coachella, Stagecoach, and the Palm Springs Film Festival. His awards include AP's Best News Reporting in 2005, Best Writing by the California News Publisher Association in 2018, and Best Video by Gannett in 2015 for his story on the history of the Mafia in Palm Springs. I'm going to stop reading his accomplishments before I run out of time. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thank you. I was just about to get bored. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I need to fill a couple of minutes there because it's probably the last time I'm going to hear myself uh, for the next hour because really all I want to hear is you. Uh, I told Uh, you the first time that we talked, I also felt like I was spelling a little bit in front of an English teacher. So uh, (laughs) thank you for being here in one of my first uh, episodes. It's my pleasure. Bruce, one of the things that I always like to find out about the guests is kind of how they got to where they got. Uh, what motivated them early and what their early influences were. You know, I read that from the age of five, you took piano lessons, dance at age eight. You had artwork make it to the county fair at the age of 10, and you started playing instruments right around, musical instruments about the same time. It seemed like there was this burst of creativity that ran through you at that time. Sometimes that's due to encouragement from parents, but sometimes it's from going deep inside yourself. And I was just wondering, was that something happening at a particular time, or was this who you always were as a child? Well, I think my parents were just trying to get me exposed to everything that they could. I was very involved in sports, too. Uh, There's some genetics involved. I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't realize it until... Uh, probably high school that I had a cousin, two cousins, uh, father and son, who were both writers. And um, we were watching Gilligan's Island one day, <laughs> and and this credit came up that it was written by Michael Fessier. And we go, what? Michael Fessier? Is there a, is there a writer in the family? <laughs> and and it turns out that he had had this Michael Fessier Sr. had had a feud with my grandfather. They were cousins, and uh, they were both from Angel's Camp uh, in Northern California, which is where Mark Twain wrote his um, his Jumping Fro- Frogs of Calaveras County. I've been so there. That was a very creative area up there, and Mark Twain turned out to be a big influence on me. But anyway, so. It turns out they had a feud, and my my father knew about this side of the family, but he knew very little about it. And so I started trying to find out who Michael Fessier 
was that I found that there was a Michael Fessier Jr. who actually wrote for Variety in the 1960s. And, and he wrote a, a column on Colonel Parker, and I've been working recently on a project on Colonel Parker. And I discovered all these parallels, and he was up in San Francisco, and he was up in in Hollywood, and I was up. At, I was in those locations at the same time. And when we finally connected, we connected up in San Francisco, I believe, and and then we became friends. He came out to visit me in Palm Springs, and we just discovered all these parallels. And he told me that his father had had lied about there being any other Fessiers, and he said <laughs> if he didn't get married, the, the Fessier name would die with him. <laughs> oh, man, no pressure there. So, yeah, so it was like it, it was like we were both stunned to discover we had run these parallel courses. And uh, so, so I think there are some genetics involved, too. That's fascinating. I always like to see how overachievers started being overachievers. What well, you know, uh, the other the other thing I got to say is that that I didn't I didn't start out trying to to be a journalist. You know, that just uh, I I wanted to be a writer, and I was hoping that I could do something in film. And uh, I just was winning awards in journalism, and it turned out to be sort of an easier way to to get into the industry than than through film writing. So. Um, I, I'm still I'm still pursuing film writing as well, but uh, I, I I didn't want to just be a journalist. Thank you for that. You you said that um, Mark Twain was an influence of yours. What other writers were influences of yours early on, Bruce? Well, I gotta say that growing up, my father read the read the uh, the, the newspaper, the, uh, the L.A. Times, and the Whittier Daily News uh, all the time, and. Uh, Jim Murray was one of my very, very first influences. Uh, he was such a hilarious writer, and he was just a brilliant writer. Loved him. And, yeah, and, and then I came out here and discovered he had a home at Monterey Country Club and later at PGA West, and uh, you, you mentioned that I did this history of the mafia, and there was a, a, a mobster who actually introduced me to Jim Murray. and. <laughs> And Jim Murray had written a column about him, calling him a Damon Runyon character. Uh, so, so it was really fun getting to, to to meet Jim Murray just on a casual basis. But I had, when I was in college, I you know I tried to emulate him. I started off as a sports writer, and I was I was writing for this uh, community newspaper. I mean, community college newspaper, and uh, I got I. I, I I got recognized by an editor from the Los Angeles Times who said that I wrote a lot like Jim Murray. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I said, well, yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, he is my biggest influence. And then when I got to San Francisco, I, I started reading uh, Art Hoppy. Mm-hmm. And Art Hoppy was was uh, my favorite uh, columnist who wrote parodies. And there's a lot of people like that, like Mike Royko, Art Buchwald, uh, Russell Baker, and uh, and uh, again, I, I uh, Art Hoppy came down here, and he wrote a parody about Palm Springs. So I wrote a parody of his parody, and he wrote me one of the greatest pieces of fan mail that I've ever had, and I, I've kept that. But I won't repeat exactly what he said because you know, 
I got a, I got up here modest. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good one. It was a good one. It was a, it was a great one. You know, Jim Murray was one of my favorites too, and one of the best compliments I can play him, uh, pay him, is I'm from Northern California, and of course, you know, a little bit of a rivalry in the sports worlds in the North and the South, and yet I yeah. loved reading Jim Murray uh, for a Northern Californian. That's a pretty big compliment. Yeah, right. And and I read Herb Cain when I was up there, and I mean. San Francisco Chronicle had some great columnists, mm-hmm. and 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 that was my dream when I went to San Francisco State. My dream was to uh, work for the San Francisco Chronicle, and um, I, I I did this story while I was at San Francisco State called uh, "The Road to Watergate," and I used all these sources that I had developed in Whittier. You know, my grandmother knew Richard Nixon's mother, mother and and I took piano lessons from Richard Nixon's cousin. <laughs> I saw that. And with, yeah, Whittier was a small town back then, and and so I I I knew a lot of people, and I had an editor who said, "How would you like to uh, go down to Whittier and and you know develop some sources and and come back and write a story?" This is right at the height of Watergate, and I thought, "Well, this is a great opportunity to go down and see my girlfriend." Yeah, get out of school <laughs> for two weeks and party. Sure, I'd be glad to do that. And I won I won a uh, second place in six states for best enterprise story. And um, uh, that, that that turned out to uh, oh, uh, there were people who were at, at my college newspaper who went on to be get copy copy boy jobs at the Chronicle. But when when I applied for a job, they they looked at that award that I had won and they said I was overqualified oh. and that I, I so I couldn't get my foot in the door at the Chronicle. They told me that I would have to work at other newspapers around the country. They said, first you go to Oklahoma and you work in a couple other states, then you get to go back to San Francisco. And I thought, wow, that sucks. <laughs> See, I really didn't want to go to Oklahoma. <laughs> you, were, you were trying to write in the uh, green section of the Chronicle, huh? Was yeah. It the sporting I mean, news. Or the pink section. The pink the, section. The, the, yeah, that was the entertainment was the, section, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, you're right. I mean, See, I really got into in, into entertainment up in in San Francisco. I was I had all this training in in Los Angeles, but uh, I really went to school um, at a place called Winterland. That was a uh, that, you remember Winterland, Billy, Billy Graham's place. Yeah, right, Bill Graham's. Place. Bill Graham. Um, yeah, and and I, I used to I used to hang out there. I saw so many concerts at that place. I mean, I. I saw I saw Dylan at the um, Oakland Coliseum and mm-hmm. and and I saw shows at Kizar and and the Cow Palace and but but the uh, Winterland had these Wednesday night shows where you get get in for two dollars and you'd see these up and coming acts and and you know it was some some of the so, so it allowed you to 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 be adventurous and see different types of acts that you wouldn't normally go see and it i developed such an appetite for music a music appreciation at that time and i also took a class in um um, um literature or lyrics as literature and and we studied rock lyrics and and so, so I got into it a little academically, but mostly it just fired my passion for music. And and when I when I down the road, uh, I got an opportunity to to start covering some entertainment events. Uh, it was because I had that passion more than more than I had any great skills as a as a pianist or a trumpet player or all those things that I had taken 
um, lessons on as a as a kid. It was it's really writing is all about passion, and that's where I developed my passion for music was in San Francisco. What an amazing time to be both a print journalist at that time, as you mentioned, around the Watergate uh, era, um, but also the musical um, influence that you saw in San Francisco. I think the last show I saw, Winterland, was Yes. Um, and, of course, at Winterland, most of the time I was just trying not to get hit in the head by 400 Frisbees that were being thrown around <laughs> the, by yeah, people who right. had reached into the pill bowl before the, the show started. Um, yeah, yeah that, that that was quite, quite a... Uh, uh, a time for music back there. Um, did you also attend, you mentioned the Cow Palace. Uh, who was the biggest act you ever saw at the Cow Palace? Oh, geez. Um, the Who. The, oh, the who. who. I saw The Who at the Cow Palace. In fact, it was a famous show. Um, it was a show where Keith Moon passed out uh, right in the middle of the show. And, and Pete Townsend said, is there a drummer in the house? <laughs> <laughs> and some guy actually got out of the audience and he sat in at Keith Moon's drum set, and he finished the show for The Who, and it wound up on the cover of Rolling Stone. I mean, it was, one, it was really quite a historic show. That's fantastic. We need to find that yeah. person. Yeah, right I, right. I went to one show at the Cow Palace. It was a few months before it closed down. It was Elvis Presley, one of the thrills of my life. We'll be back here uh, in just a moment, back with our guest um, on Coachella Valley Chronicles. Let's just call it what it is. Coachella Valley Chronicles continues on iHub Radio. You are the story. Here's Randy Florence. Welcome back to the Coachella Valley Chronicles. We're here with my guest, Bruce Fessier. Bruce, I'm going to move you into uh, the desert here now. Um, You've said in interviews that I've read that you were kind of an angry young man when you joined the Desert Sun. What was behind that anger? You know, there was, there was, it was kind of a rough road getting to the Desert Sun, first of all. Um, I'd, I'd, um, there's so, I'd had a series of, of events, like uh, I was supposed to get, be an intern at the San Diego Tribune, and the union said that, um, that they wouldn't allow uh, interns who were not paid by the newspaper, and the newspaper wouldn't pay me, so I, I didn't get the internship that I had earned. And and then I then I went to work for one for about five months at PR Newswire in San Francisco, and um, I had um, what what some might call um, a reverse sexual harassment that kind of forced me out of the uh, out of that job. And 
Uh, so, so, and then I, then I worked in, in Fontana for a couple of years and, and that was, that was interesting. Uh, uh, but it was a, it was a rough place to live. And when I came to, when I came to, to Palm Springs, uh, I had actually had, had, had made some pretty good achievements in, in Fontana. I worked on this, uh, um, Bloomington Crime Prevention Commission that uh, prepared me. And, and I worked on this Bloomington Crime Prevention Commission because this was the home of the Hell's Angels. Mm. And it, there, there, was, there was riots on my street. It was a really rough city. And I joined this Bloomington. I was drafted, actually, onto this Bloomington Crime Prevention Commission that, that taught me a lot about um, how to prevent crimes. And, and I used that as a, as a police reporter in Fontana. And the uh, California Attorney General at that time, L.V. Younger, uh, decided to start this this model crime prevention program for other cities in California in Fontana because it had such a huge high crime rate. And I and they didn't provide any funding for the Fontana Police Department. They were they were counting on volunteers to come forward. And it was very frustrating because the the people in Fontana were not coming forward. They just looked at uh, at Sacramento as as basically um, uh, not being serious about about their their crime problem. And so I started writing a series of stories, and and uh, the police department got behind it, and I wound up getting this what they called it the key to the city it was actually a paperweight <laughs> and 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 the united way gave me this certificate for for civic service and uh so i was i was leaving fontana at a time when i was getting a lot of acclaim for for leaving the newspaper and i i was i got this job offer at palm springs and uh so i announced that i was I was um, leaving Fontana at the same time I was supposed to receive this uh, award from the United Way. So my my departure, uh, con- coinciding with with my U- United Way honor, made a big to do. And then after I had accepted the job at, in Palm Springs, um, the city editor told me there's just one more guy you got to talk to. <laughs> and I go, uh, what? And I said, I've already. I've announced that I'm leaving. I, I mean, this is, I, I, this is, who, what do you mean I have, there's one more guy. You said I had the job. And, and so it turned out that they were wanting to put me in the Palm Desert Bureau. Palm, the Desert Sun had, had actually uh, two bureaus at that time, one in India and one in, in, in uh, Palm Desert. And he wanted me to interview with the uh, editor of the Palm Desert Bureau to see if I would fit there. So I went down there, and I found out later from that editor that the Palm Desert Bureau didn't have the same kind of budget that the main office had. So they were so. So when I came, when I said that I had to take this job, they gave me the job, but they gave me at the Palm Desert Bureau salary, and I and I was very upset. I didn't I didn't take I don't know why, but I didn't make a good impression with that editor in Palm Desert, and so they had to put me back in Palm Springs, but they gave me half the salary they had promised me. Mm. And that's from what I understand the budget that they had for a reporter at the Palm Desert Bureau. So I was, that's why I was this angry young man. And, and I just, I had, I'd had such from a, from the time when I was an award-winning journalist at San Francisco state to this time where I went, had to work in Fontana and then had, had the problem that, you know, 
I, I was just ready to give up on journalism altogether. And so I, I, I just, um, uh, you know, that's why I was an angry young man. And, and I, they, they, they gave me this, uh, this entertainment uh, editor job on a trial basis and to see if it was going to work out. And they gave me a column. And so I just decided I was just going to have fun with this column. And I was just going to make fun of whatever I, I thought deserved uh, parodies. I know it was kind of like I said, I was influenced by our hoppy. Mm-hmm. And so, so I just, I just started writing. Um, I just started making fun of Palm Springs and thinking that I was never going to last more than a year at that newspaper. <laughs> And the weird thing was that uh, a lot of young people felt the same way about Palm Springs that I did, and I started developing an immediate following. And they gave me a raise. They gave me they gave me a permanent entertainment editor position, and it was uh, and that started my career. <laughs> Wonderful. We'll be back in just a moment with Bruce Fesse on the Coachella Valley Chronicles. Gene Autry Trail to the Empire Polo Grounds. Have you seen it? Like desert sands through an hourglass. With great power comes great responsibility. These are the Coachella Valley Chronicles with Randy Florence on iHub Radio. Cool. Here's Randy. Welcome back to the Coachella Valley Chronicles. We're here with my guest, Bruce Fessier. Bruce, I want to ask you a few uh, kind of lightning round questions here. I promise not to ask you what your favorite tree is or what you kind of tree you would be. Well, let me let me ask you a question first. Yes, sir. So, what year was it that you saw Elvis at, at the Cow Palace? Ooh, that would have been nineteen seventy six or seven. He died in seventy seven, and. And uh, I, I saw I saw him about ten weeks before he died in Baltimore, actually. Mm. And uh, um, yeah, that was that was he was in pretty pretty bad shape by 1977. He was so in I bad was shape. Little, I was sitting yeah. in the rafters. He was reading the words off a page. Um, it was hard to hear him because they were the hawkers selling the Elvis gear were right next to my ear most of the night. But for a lifetime Elvis fan, it was still a major thing for me. Yeah, I mean, I saw him, and he had to walk off stage for 20 minutes. Mm. He was so out of breath; he was drinking water every every five minutes. And uh, I, I later discovered that he had torn his pants or something, and and he had to go and change. Uh, and but it was it was one of the weirdest, craziest nights of my life because in a 24 hour period, I saw Elvis in concert. I encountered Muhammad Ali on the streets of Washington D.C., and I was in a subcommittee cheering with Colonel Sanders. So I saw Colonel Sanders, Muhammad Ali, and Elvis Presley in one 24-hour period. And I, always, I always consider that the, uh, the 24 hours of my life. Uh, that, that has, there's got to be a documentary just around that 24-hour period, <laughs> yeah. Bruce. That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, let I me know. ask you, what's the most important mm-hmm. story you ever wrote? The most important story? Wow. Um, 
and this is your opinion, obviously. Yeah, right, right. Um, you know, the, 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 there's, there's few times that I wrote just one story that was important because the follow-ups always turned out to be more important. Mm-hmm. Like the, the series of columns that I, I did about the McCallum Theater, um, that that led to uh, the McCallum um, making some compromises that 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 created what it is today. I, I always I always considered uh, w- one of the greatest compliments I ever received from the uh, uh, McCallum Theater emeritus. He was never the actual director, but he was the, the director emeritus of the McCallum Theater, Sidney Harmon, mm-hmm. who had tried to start. Uh, a, a theater in downtown Palm Springs, and he had Betty Ford on the on his board. He had some very powerful people, and he they couldn't get it off the ground. And I and um, of course it, it takes a village to, to get a theater off the ground. There was not, not one person or, or element responsible for for starting the McCallum Theater. But I asked him what the what was the difference between your attempt to start the Center Theater in Palm Springs and the McCallum Theater in Palm Desert. And he said in Palm Desert, we had a re- we had a journalist with a passion for this theater. And I thought, wow, you know, wow. He, he gave me a lot. He gave me a lot of credit for that. So so that was so that was um, that was a, a, a big story, a series of stories for yeah. me. For this you valley, know? that I mean, was huge. Yeah, right, right. What's the most um, controversial the, story you ever wrote? I, I got so many letters <laughs> to the editors for my opinions. You know, I, I had controversial opinions more than than particular stories. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I, the, um, what's I, what what's the know, letter to what, the editor what, you took the most heat for? You know, again, they were mostly my reviews and my columns. And and at one time, the um, there's a, a PR person for. Um, for the Palm Springs Chamber of Commerce, who uh, uh, ran a contest where they were going to raise money by have, by taking bids for um, who would pay the most money to throw me in a swimming pool with my clothes <laughs> on. <laughs> that was that was Marilyn Baker, and and she was also she was also the person that uh, was working with Sonny Bono and getting and getting the uh, film festival started. So so. Um, I wound up actually working with Sonny Bono on that film festival, and she was she was the PR person for our committee. So you know that's that's the thing too is that I I've I've angered so many people in my life <laughs> in my career with my stories, and and I've I've recovered relationships with so many people. I mean, I, I one time that uh, comes to mind, I was I wound up being very very dear friends with Kay Ballard who. Who was somebody who was just beloved in this community, and when I first started writing about her, um, she was she was she thought I was kind of diminishing her because I didn't consider her one of the great actresses in, in or personalities, female personalities in Rancho Mirage. At, at that time, we had Mary Martin, Dinah Shore, Ginger Rogers. Um, uh, Billy Dove was a, was a uh, was the great love of Howard Hughes and a, a mm-hmm. huge uh, silent movie star and and Kay uh, Ballard goes what do I have to be ninety years old before you start writing good <laughs> things about me and and then I panned her a panned a show that she did at the McCallum Theater 
and she was just absolutely livid. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't hold back. I said her, I, I said, you know, her, she, her delivery was great. She was a great actress, but her material, I said her material was threadbare, Ooh. very old fashioned. And she, and, and I started the desert theater league in this town. I co mm-hmm. co-founded it. And she was our second uh, uh, award winner. And she got up on stage and she said, I, too, have experienced the rapier wit of Bruce Fessier, you know, and she starts making fun of me from the stage, you know. So but but at the same time, later on, she was in a show that was dying and she had a one year contract in a little theater at the Palm Springs Convention Center. And and it was a good show. And and I, I and I wanted to have an opportunity to help that show, and and I said, you gotta let me do an interview with you. And she was so upset with me that she wouldn't do an interview. So she was cutting off her nose to spite her face. The show was dying, but she wasn't going to do any publicity with me. And I finally got somebody to agree to to put us together at a lunch, and we started and we started talking. And she said, "You know, you're not such a bad guy." <laughs> and, 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 and and she and we really kind of bonded. And the really ironic thing was, I had also upset Jack Jones with a review that I had done of him at the McCallum Theater. And he comes walking by. We were at the uh, it was what's now the Parker Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. It was a Givenchy at the time. And and Jack just happens to be walking through the lounge, and she goes. Jack, come over here! Jack, come over here! And so, so I'm going, oh my God, you know, here's somebody else that I pissed off. And she starts moving things over with Jack Jones, and Jack Jones wound up becoming one of my best friends in the Coachella Valley. So, you know, when you can overcome that type of, of rancor, and you develop this, this other new layer of respect, and and the, the the relationship becomes that much stronger. And I've been very, very fortunate to have had that happen many times here in the Coachella Valley. That's a great story. It's it's, it's too bad we can't all live our lives like that on a daily basis and give everybody yeah, that right. second chance. Are there any stories yeah. that you wish you could rewrite? Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, I look at some of my old columns, you know, and, and again, it's mostly... You know, humor is a very hard thing to write. Yeah. And but but when I first started writing, I was um, like I said, I was very much influenced by Art Hoppy and Jim Murray, and and so I would try to write um, uh, write, write funny a funny column every week, a humor column once a week, and uh, the pressure for, for that was just intense. And and I and I look back. And I wrote some very funny columns, but I wrote some very bad ones too. And it's a, and the and I gotta say that the the I started the pressure that I I felt to to be funny every week when I didn't have the craft at that point uh, was just intense. You know, I I really I had suicidal thoughts at times because wow. I because I didn't think. I, I didn't think I was doing a good job, and yet everybody thought that I was I was doing a good job, and I didn't feel like I deserved the praise, and it was it was uh, you know I, I just didn't feel like I was worthy of this attention. I knew I wasn't worthy of the attention, but there was something there was something between my attitude and the readers' attitudes that connected. It wasn't so much that they loved my craft. I got to be a much better writer as I went on. But that, but just the attitude that I had at the very beginning really connected with a lot of people. I can see that. You know, some people might describe what you just talked about as imposter syndrome. Um, yeah. Right, have, right. have you gotten past that, Bruce? Uh, 
for the most part, you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I, I know what I'm capable of doing and there's, there's some things that, um, I'm still trying new things and, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just getting ready to sign a contract for a screenwriting gig. And, um, that scares me because, uh, I've never had, I, I, I wrote a movie and, and directed a movie when I was in college. Uh, but, um, and I've, and I wrote, I, I wrote something that, uh, has impressed, uh, you know, some, I wrote a treatment of a, of a, of a, of a TV series one time that impressed some people, but, you know, I've never written a movie for people to see in a, in a, in a theater. And, and it's a little scary, you know, okay. I'm, I'm excited about doing it, but at the same time, I wonder if I'm worthy. So. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see the result of it. In, yeah. in an interview, you, um, I heard you say that you don't get starstruck by celebrities except for your first time with Mr. Sinatra. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and everybody that I've ever read about talks about how intimidating he could be. But were there any celebrities that helped you in your career here just because of their openness with you? Oh yeah, and and first of all, let me say that with Sinatra, um, I I had already made fun of Sinatra by the time that I I met him, and um, you know I I wrote a column saying that just making fun of how everybody just was was so uh, reverential around him, you know, and so the so, so many people around here idolized him. I thought that, that was kind of funny. I, I kept I kept encountering all these people who said I'm a close personal friend of Frank, you know, and and so so I made fun of all the people who were close personal friends of Frank's, and I and I, but I started off like the the this column is about Frank Sinatra, you know, like I was so scared that I could hardly get the words out of my mouth, and then and and then to uh, I I was at Temple Isaiah with uh, Rabbi Joe Hurwitz. Um, when Sinatra just drove up or was driven up in a town car and he gets out and Hurwitz introduces me to Sinatra and I'm thinking, Oh my God, this is the guy that I just made fun of. And, and that's why I was so terrified. I mean, I wasn't so much starstruck. I was terrified because I had already made fun of him. And I don't think he even, I don't think he read the column. You know? <laughs> there wasn't any reason to be terrified after all. I get it. When we come back, uh, I want to talk to you about your time at The Sun and The Sun specifically. Welcome back um, in a few minutes to the Coachella Valley Chronicles. and the where. This is Coachella Valley Chronicles with Randy Florence. The 411 on the events, the personalities, and the history that have built an oasis in the desert. 
Here's Randy. Welcome back. We're here with my guest, Bruce Fessier. Bruce, I want to talk to you in the last segment here about a couple of things that are important to you, I know. You know, recently mm-hmm. a group had to raise $60,000 to fund an opinion page for our Valley newspaper, The Desert Sun. And in 2021, that just seems unbelievable to me. What's, yeah. What should the role of a local paper be, and what do you see ahead for The Sun? Well, you know, it's it's owned by a hedge fund now. And, and um, there's two hedge funds in, in America that own over 350 newspapers and you know you the 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 mission of a hedge fund is simply to make money it's not to inform the electorate and as long as you have someone who's making decisions that are based purely on profit rather than uh, edifying its community uh, you're you're not going to be having a very well-informed uh readership or uh community or nation even so I, I, I'm, I'm really nervous about the, uh, the the future of not just the Desert Sun, but uh, community newspapers in general. I think they're they're being decimated, and the fact that uh, that there's a, the community is willing to come forward and, and try and raise the sixty thousand dollars, and I, I understand they're they're close to it if they haven't already achieved that. Um, it, it, it speaks very highly about the community that they want a newspaper that will lead them in in issues. The fact that the company that owns the Desert Sun doesn't think it's important to have a, a person in a leadership position to um, present the newspaper's opinions on what's important is very scary. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting to see what happens when they when the this. This this group um, CVEP or, or or this this arm of CVEP this committee comes forward with uh, with with the money and who they get to to be the uh, uh, the spokesperson for the newspaper the voice of the newspaper I mean will they be responsible to this hedge fund or will they be responsible to the community that's going to be a real interesting question. Well, I, th- I think we certainly hope the answer is that they're going to show their allegiance to the community, since that's what we yeah. need. Yeah, right. Bruce, um, in the last few minutes here, you told me in a previous conversation that one of the things you're most proud of is how you've introduced to the Valley different music and entertainment cultures. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think it's not just music and entertainment cultures. Uh, I mean, it's it's cultural in in ethnic and, and racial senses as well. I mean, this is a very stratified community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll never never forget having an interview with um, with Bob Hope one time where he was talking about the uh, the local talent around here, and he said, "You never know who your next door neighbor here is, do you?" And it's true. I mean, so many people don't know who's living next door to you. And and the people who are living next door to you, um, they could they, they may not be full-time residents. I mean, there's a lot of uh, weekenders or there's a lot of seasonal residents. And then there's so many people who come here just for conventions. So you have – and then, then you have – there's I understand about 20 years ago, there were 41 different languages spoken in the Coachella Valley. And, and so, so you have a large Filipino uh, population here that you, 
don't really see represented well at all. Uh, I live in the Tamaris Country Club area, and uh, last year we had um, a very serious disturbance where a Latino man knocked on the door of uh, one of my neighbors, and um, because he didn't call first, the woman who lived there got scared and called the police, and she happens to be living next door to a rest area. So this guy might have just been coming there to hang out in the rest area, and he knocked on the door for a drink of water. She called the police. The police came, and they had guns. This guy got scared. He tried to sca- he tried to stab a sheriff's deputy with a screwdriver, and they killed him. Oh my goodness! They killed him for asking for a drink of water. Mm. You know, so so we have. We have very serious divides in this Coachella Valley. And I I always look at my job as partly to be a bridge between these different segments of our community. And we have extreme wealth. We have extreme poverty. That's one of the things that I find so fascinating about the Coachella Valley is the dualism here is this visceral. Mm -hmm. Every day you look at those mountains and you look at at the flat, Sometimes it's sand, sometimes it's dirt, sometimes it's concrete, but it's under sea water, uh, under sea level. So you you have these extremes, and people uh, it, it, you can you can feel when when things are in harmony because you can see the mountains and you can see the 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 the, the ground and and you feel that these are components that should be together working in harmony and. If you don't have communication, you don't have that kind of harmony. And I, I, I felt very flattered and privileged that I was able to be invited to be part of the Latino community. Uh, just today, I went on this uh, Black Historical Society committee uh, tour of, of Black historical sites in Palm Springs. And, and I, I've been working with some dear uh, African-American friends. And so so. I, I was when I was writing a daily column, I, I felt like I was trying to be sort of a bridge between these different communities and and showing that we were a Coachella Valley. We we were a lot different from uh, almost any other uh, city that I that I had ever encountered. And you know, if we could highlight and accent and appreciate the differences. It made us so much stronger. It's just basically appreciating diversity, and so so that's what I meant by that. Uh, uh, you know, just being a bridge between the the various segments of the Coachella Valley. Thank you for that, and thank you for taking that role too. I think there's a few uh, individuals in this valley who have recognized the same thing and tried to do that. There's no doubt that if we're going to get this valley to where it needs to be in the next ten years. The ability to be able to sit down at a table and have conversations with people, even people that we disagree with, is going to be the key to that. Yeah, yep. Bruce, you know, I I'm certainly hope I'm going to be able to bring you back here for another show. There's so many things I wanted to talk about, not the least of which is I, I'd like to talk a little bit more about your relationship with Jane and the things that you guys have partnered up on. Thank you so uh, much yeah. for being here today, Bruce. That's my pleasure, Randy. Appreciate everybody listening today. You have been listening to the Coachella Valley Chronicles with Randy Florence.